y'all today. Today is the actual birthday of Martin Luther King. We will have a holiday on Monday. But I'm going to take some time today to remind you of some things. So please do check back and if you have Yeah, if you've got some thoughts that you would like to share about Martin Luther King I would much appreciate a call in and uh I'm going to break off some things that I think people no longer hear because when I grew up, it was 10 years after his assassination in 1968. And as time has gone... I think people just uh, don't know or don't remember or it just doesn't, some of the things that he talked about just doesn't get out there as much. So I'm going to try and share with you uh, some excerpts from, um, I'm just thinking right now because I'll have to pull them up, but the uh, letters from a Birmingham jail, obviously everybody knows about the uh, I Have a Dream speech and of course I say of course but again I don't know that it is and of course I think a lot of people just don't know anymore about his last speech the night before he was assassinated and uh, I'll share some of those things and um Getting the call-ins, it'll all be right here in this episode. My dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling our present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom, if ever, do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas, but since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and your criticisms are sincerely set forth, 
I would like to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. I think I should give the reason for my being in Birmingham since you have been influenced by the argument of outsiders coming in. I have the honor of serving as president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, an organization operating in every southern state with headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. We have some 85 affiliate organizations all across the South. Several months ago, our local affiliate here in Birmingham invited us to be on call to engage in a nonviolent direct action program if such were deemed necessary. We readily consented. Birmingham is probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the United States. Its ugly record of police brutality is known in every section of the country. Its unjust treatment of Negroes in the courts is a notorious reality. There have been more unsolved bombings of Negro homes and churches in Birmingham than in any city in this nation. These are the hard, brutal, and unbelievable facts. On the basis of these conditions, Negro leaders sought to negotiate with the city fathers, but the political leaders consistently refused to engage in good faith negotiation. Then came the opportunity last September to talk with some of the leaders of the economic community. In these negotiating sessions, certain promises were made by the merchants, such as the promise to remove the humiliating racial signs from the stores. On the basis of these promises, Reverend Shuttlesworth and the leaders of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights agreed to call a moratorium on any type of demonstrations. As the weeks and months unfolded, we realized that we were the victims of a broken promise. The signs remained. As in so many experiences in the past, we were confronted with blasted hopes and the dark shadow of a deep disappointment settled upon us. So we had no alternative except that of preparing for direct action, whereby we would present our very bodies as a means of laying our case before the conscience of the local and national community. We were not unmindful of the difficulties involved, so we decided to go through the process of self-purification. We started having workshops on nonviolence and repeatedly asked ourselves the questions. Are you able to accept the blows without retaliating? Are you able to endure the ordeals of jail? History is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. Individuals may see the moral light and give up their unjust posture. But as Reinhold Niebuhr has reminded us, groups are more immoral than individuals. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have never yet engaged in a direct action movement that was well-timed. According to the timetable of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the air, ear of every Negro with a piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. It has been a tranquilizing thalidomide, relieving the emotional stress for a moment, only to give birth to an ill-formed infant of frustration. We must come to see the distinguished jurists of yesterday that 
Justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward the goal of political independence, and we still creep at, at horse and buggy pace toward the gaining of a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. I guess it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled police curse, kick, brutalize, and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering, as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television, and see the tears welling up in her little eyes when she is told Fun town is closed to colored children. And see the depressing clouds of inferiority begin to form in her little mental sky. <sighs> and see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness toward white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking in agonizing pathos, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white men and colored. When your first name becomes nigger and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are and your last name becomes John, when your wife and mother are never given the respected title of Ms., when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro, living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a denigrating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait there comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into an abyss of injustice where they experience the bleakness of cor corroding despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefer, prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direst action. Who paternalistically 
feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection.
Chambers Brothers doing the Curtis Mayfield track People Get Ready from the Chambers Brothers 1967 release The Time Has Come from the American Psychedelic Soul Band known for their 11 minute 1968 hit Time Has Come Today and before that we heard the Holmes Brothers and we played the track Promised Land from their 1997 album Promised Land. They were a trio originally from Christchurch, Virginia. And we started off that set with the amazing band out of Cincinnati, Ohio, Isley Brothers. From their collection of music called Brotherhood, we heard Brother, Brother, Brother. You're listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is Wednesday Midday Medley. My name is Mark Manning. Today we're presenting our annual tribute, our celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King, remembering his words and the music that inspired the movement. And the music gave them the courage to believe they could not fail. It was written by Pete Seeger. And we're going to hear a song where he sings those words. Actually, he doesn't sing them, but some other folks sing them. In just a few moments, we're going to be playing that. But we're happy that you all tuned in today. Dr. Martin Luther King said, A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual doom. Our next set of music will feature songs inspired by that. But first, I want to let you know that coming up next here on 90.1 FM is Art Speak Radio with my good friend Maria Vasquez Boyd coming up at 12 noon until 1 o'clock when we start our jazz programming with Jazz Afternoon with Jeff Harshbarger from 1 o'clock until 3 o'clock. And at 3 o'clock, our good friend Goovy Grant comes in with three hours of blues, soul, and gospel music for us. I want to let you know that Wednesday Midday Medley is on the web at WednesdayMidDayMedley.org. On that website, you can actually find details about upcoming shows and all of our playlists for the last nine years, plus our uh, year-end best-of lists are available for you to look at at that website. Also, we have a Facebook page that we update regularly, uh, Wednesday Midday Medley on 90.1 FM at www.facebook.com plus you can learn a whole lot of stuff about this show and about this entire radio station at kkfi.org where we list all of our playlists and all of our programmers uh, put their playlists into Spinatron and they are available for you to look at and plus the show will be up on the website for the next two weeks if you missed any part of it you can go back and listen to it on 90.1 FM on our website at kkfi.org. We want to send out healing thoughts to our good friend Charles Feruza, hoping he continues to get better. And we love you, Charles, and we're rooting for you. Also, we're going to go out with a special set of music, starting with the late Pete Seeger, singing a song that he adapted and made famous, followed by Sarah Lee Guthrie and Johnny Arion, who are the granddaughters of Woody Guthrie, and they'll be singing a Pete Singer song called Dr. King, and they're going to end this whole set with a song written by Woody Guthrie, as performed by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. First up, you're going to hear Pete Seeger with the track We Shall Overcome. This comes to us from the essential Pete Seeger. This was derived from the gospel song by the Reverend Charles Tindley called We Will Overcome, written in 1901 and adapted and made famous by Pete Seeger, Joan Baez, and several other folks who were central to the civil rights movement, the 1940s. 
1950s and 60s. Dr. Martin Luther King made use of We Shall Overcome in the final Sunday, March 31st, 1968 speech, right before his assassination. Then we're going to hear Sarah Lee Guthrie, the granddaughter of Woody Guthrie, um, singing a song with her partner, Johnny Arian, singing Dr. King, uh, a track written by Pete Seeger, also known as Take It from Dr. King. And then we're going to hear the amazing Sharon Jones, the late Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. From their 2005 album on Daptone Records, we're going to hear uh, this uh, song, This Land is Your Land, all in tribute to the great Dr. Martin Luther King. The national holiday celebrating his life is coming up, and that's the day that many people can do community service. Not just take the day off and goof off, but actually go out and support people in your community. Thank you for listening. Here's Pete Seeger. We shall overcome, we shall Thank you. 